0: Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. As Marty said, my name is Ken. Um, my wife and I normally attend first service. In fact, in two and a half years, I don't think we've ever been to second service, so some of you guys I, I've never met unless you were in the combined service over at the other building we brought both services together. We're starting, as Marty said, a new series. It's titled, uh, Will the Real Son of Adam and the Daughter of Eve's Ple- Eve Please Stand Up? And that kind of comes out of C.S.'s Lewis writings and the children who were in those stories. He referred to them as the the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. And you'll, you'll see why in just a moment. I'm really excited to be sharing with you um, the things that God has put in my heart. Um, so but first we're going to pray. We're going to invite Jesus again into our presence, and his presence into our presence, and see what he's going to do for us today and in our lives. So Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that all you require of us is to have broken spirits and a contrite heart, to be a people, Lord God, who tremble, who believe in your word, that we don't have to come with anything but our broken, broken selves to offer to you and that you will meet us in that place. And so we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray for Jesus that you would make yourself known to us this morning as we we offer ourselves as best we know how to be your sons of Adam and your daughters of Eve, in increasing grace. We also ask, Lord God, that you would um, bless us as we give our offerings to you. We bring what we have, like the Scripture says, and we offer it to you in this day. Bless it, Lord. Make it all it needs to be to do all that you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may remember, um, if you were around at the time, that um, we did a series here at the church, and there were a number of video testimonies that people did about their lives, and they shared their stories of brokenness. We shared our stories of brokenness, and the things in our lives, we all, when we shared, we actually made ourselves you know, pretty vulnerable. It was a challenge to, to get up and, and to share those things. And I shared, you know, some story about my history of, of sexual and relational brokenness in my life. And uh, I remember on that day, I really, truly, I was looking around when I knew they were going to play the video and I was like trying to find a place where there was a dark corner so nobody could see me sitting here as they played that story. But the Lord really spoke to me that moment morning. He said, no, you stay in your place. This is your story. This is the one I want to give to you. This is is what I've done in your life, and you need to stand without shame in that place. And so my wife and I, um, we're really excited because this August we're going to be, my wife's name is Jolene, um, we're going to be married 40 years this coming August. not that amazing? And, and I, I, we're really excited um, about it because, well, we know our story. We know that apart from the Lord Jesus in our lives and apart from opening up our hearts and revealing the broken places in our lives to God and other people, we wouldn't have a marriage. We wouldn't have two amazing sons One's 38 this month. One's 35. The younger one is pastoring the Vineyard Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And so he's doing well. They have three, uh, the most beautiful little daughters that happen to be our grandchildren in the whole wide world. And our other son has a 20 year old. And so we have the whole range from 20 and a 15 year old all the way down to what's the youngest one's age? Four. I have to ask her sometimes what their names are. I am bad. You know, who am I hugging here? No, it's not that bad. <laughs> anyway, the the thing is when Jolene and I met, she was eighteen and, and I was nineteen, and we were at Southern Oregon State um college then, it's university now. And and we both, as we met each other, God was, was growing in us a hunger for Jesus and he was stirring in us a call to the ministry. And you know what? I when I saw that woman, when I saw her step into my music theory class, I knew I was going to marry that woman. And she did not know she was going to marry me. In fact, her boyfriend saved the chair for her that was in front of me. So anyway, when Jolene and I began to date, when we began to to share our lives together and and share our stories together. And we began to share our call, embrace what God was calling us to. It was really an amazing, amazing time in our lives. And we were excited. Um, We married when she was 20 and I was 21. And we were starting this this new life together. Um, But what we didn't understand at the time is, if you have stuff in your life, that you bring into the marriage that you haven't dealt with, you're going to eventually deal with it one way or the other. And so for Jolene and I, we had both been sexually abused, both of us by male relatives. And, and we had shared a bit about the story with each other, but we didn't realize the impact of what happens in our lives when, when we experience that kind of sin that happens against us And even some of the sin that rises out of our hearts in response to the sin that was committed against us. And so we did our best. We loved each other. We embraced each other. We cared about each other. But the stuff came up. Eventually, the crap in our lives, forgive me if that offends you, but that's what it was. I can't describe it any less than that's what it was began to emerge in our lives and it, be, and it impacted our, our relationship with each other and it, it included um, struggles for me with eating disorders and for me struggles with sexual addiction and even at, for a period of time I was unfaithful in the marriage. My wife, on the other hand, experienced of course the impact of my stuff. She had the impact of her stuff so she went through a significant period of time where she hated men which kind of put me in a bad place as well. And so we had this this stuff that we tried to deal with. We, we graduated from seminary, went out to pastor our first church in Rochester, New York, and for three years, we just basically tried to be good pastors and good ministers. And all the while, these struggles were happening in our lives and in our marriage, and, and we didn't know what to do with it. We really... Honestly, didn't know what to do with it because what we had been taught in the church in those days was we had been taught the scripture that the old is gone, the new has come, and that had been misapplied in our lives. Nobody told us. Nobody spoke into our hearts and said the old is still going and the new is still coming. We we were told what actually had happened in fact, but we weren't told that in life. There was still a journey to be on for healing, and so we felt like something was wrong with our our lives. Something was wrong with our faith because we had these struggles in our marriage, and It made it worse because we were pastors and I remember one day uh, I was pastoring the second church I pastored was in in Canada, and we were driving down to Cincinnati, and we were beginning to deal with our stuff and be honest with each other, and we were driving uh, a couple hours, maybe three hours down to Cincinnati. And we, were, we just cried the whole way down. Because in those moments as we were dealing with the reality of our brokenness and, and sin, we the only thing, truly, the only two things we had together between each other was our love for Jesus and our love for our boys. That's all we had because our emotions had been so wrought and destroyed by what had happened to us and the sin, especially that I'd committed since then. So when I say I'm getting ready to celebrate 40 years with my wife and I'm I'm excited about it and she's actually excited about it, that tells what Jesus can do in our lives if we're willing to open up our hearts and get in and deal with stuff. So obviously we live in a world... Where image is everything and the reality is, you guys know this, that image is often quite different than what is true and authentic. We see image all over our world. What Jolene and I have learned through this process of healing I've been sharing about with is this. It is the nature of God who is the truth to only bless what is true and authentic in our lives and that he will not bless what is false. And that's what Jesus did with us. It's not that we don't experience mercy. It's not that we don't experience grace. It's not that we don't experience God's blessing, but it is also His mercy to hold us to the truth and to refuse to bless what is false in our lives and call us into the people that God has created us to be. I believe that this tendency to image actually began in the Garden of Eden. And it comes forth to this day. I believe that when we value image over authenticity, that that is the greatest greatest impact on authentic relationship with Jesus and authentic relationship with others. When we build friendships, relationships, marriages, based on an image, this is what happens. We end up alone with our image. We end up alone with our image. Because people are loving or not... They're responding to what we're projecting. They're not seeing the real, the real guy I am, the real, the real woman my wife was. People were, were, were not seeing the truth about us. And so when somebody loved us, it didn't go where it needed to go. When we project an image, we end up alone with it. You guys remember the story of Genesis chapter 1 through 3 the creation story. Marty has mentioned it in some recent sermons and then again Morgan talked about the Genesis story. You know that in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 God describes the power of his creativity as he brings forth the heavens and the earth and this incredible burst of life that God brings into the universe in creating the earth and then at the pinnacle, the, the power of the revelation of God he brings forth on the earth man and then woman and he blesses man and woman and together the man in his masculinity and the woman in her femininity together they reveal the image of God on the face of the earth he set that in to the creation story and he revealed himself, and they were created for relationship with each other, and they were created for relationship with God, and the most incredible part of that, that there was not even any sense or concept of shame. They lived their lives in incredible freedom with each other, with God, in incredible intimacy, and dynamic relationship, and there wasn't even a thought of shame. Can you imagine that? where there's not even a thought of shame. But when it gets to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to talk about this intimacy, fallenness, and and broken relationships in Genesis chapter 3. We get to see something very, very powerful. Now, some of the verses that I'm going to read here have underlines in them. Just kind of pay attention to those, because what the devil is doing is creating a lie. And there's some fruit from believing that lie. Let's read it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from the tree, any, any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. and You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. I always kind of hear it like this. The devil's like, you will not certainly die. You know, maybe he was more of an angel of light than that, but that's the way I hear it. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. "'Knowing good and evil.' "'So when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye "'and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. "'She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. "'Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. "'And so they did this in response to the lie. "'They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves.' Hang on to that line. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They hid, but the Lord called to the man. And he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, in his place of hiding, said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I hid. Guys, girls, men, women, shame and brokenness entered into the human experience through broken relationship. In all of our brokenness, whatever is its original source or impact on our lives comes from broken relationship. It was not the eating of the fruit. There was no magic in in the fruit, it wasn't taking a a bite of the apple or whatever kind of fruit it was, passion fruit maybe, It, it wasn't that. It was the decision to define themselves apart from God. The decision was based on a lie, that you don't have to be in the image of God, you can be God. And that has come forth to this very day. The fig leaves were more than 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 something to, to cover up their physical nakedness. The fig leaves symbolize something much more powerful. All the ways that we choose to cover up everywhere we feel inadequate and uncovered. All the ways we want to hide from others, what we don't want them to see. That's what the fig leaves are. So Adam and Eve gave up intimacy with God. Which, was, which clothed them, giving them their identity, giving their purpose, sin and brokenness, came to a new reality, became the new reality at two profound levels: their relationship with God. Now when they looked at God, they felt naked and ashamed. Their relationship with each other, when they looked at each other and saw the fig leaves that they bore, they were naked and ashamed. Intimacy was broken. They fell away from their truest, most authentic selves being in God's image, and they chose to make their own identities in order to create an image acceptable to God and to each other. They chose hiddenness. You know what? Whether you believe it's true or not, the reality is not only in our culture, but in the context of the church, we put on fig leaves. We shield. The, 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 the brokenness inside of our hearts and, and the truth of our struggles because we want to create an image that's acceptable to other people. We choose hiddenness quite often and Jesus wants to come to us like he did in the garden and say, hey, where are you? Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Why are you wearing those fig leaves? What happened to you guys? We hide as good Christian people we hide our addictions we hide our struggles with self-hatred we hide the impact of abuse like my wife and I did and the shame that we bore because of it we hide the struggles in our marriage we hide our struggles with depression which was a huge part of my life our families are broken they're broken we come in here broken we're broken Jesus loves meeting us in our broken. But why do we hide it? Because when we hide it, eventually it will find its way out. It will find its way out by my confession or it will find its way out by my addiction or my hiddenness or my shame or my anger or the walls I build so nobody can get in. Is this making sense to you guys? Good. So... One of the places we hide, which is what I did, we hide our our sexual and relational struggles because they have so much shame attached to them. How can I admit what I've done? How can I tell you what I'm doing now? I would die if I did. Exactly. We need to. Because when we don't, like I said, it's still there. An incredible promise, restored relationship and real identity. This is Paul speaking in Galatians chapter 3. And uh, there's a lot I could say about this verse, but I'm going to hold it to three things. Let's read it. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. Yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus comes to restore what we lost in the garden. Number one, sons of God, children of God, restored relationship with God. Jesus came to, to help us to shed the fig leaves and to stand without shame before God as our Father. Secondly, He rips away the outward labels of human existence and he says, I want to restore your human relationships. Take off the labels. Take off the fig leaves. And live in safety and and, and grace with each other. And thirdly, he says, you're clothed in Christ. He says, we don't need our fig leaves anymore when we're sons and daughters of the living God. I don't have to hide from you anymore. If you choose to judge me, that's your problem, not mine. It'll hurt, but I'm going to choose Jesus before I fear your judgment. I couldn't always do that, but I have to do that. I want to be the man God created me to be. So how do we go from being fig leaf bearers, broken image bearers, to becoming the image bearers that God called us to be, created us to be, so we can have a full and authentic life? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He says, basically, all that you and I have to do is die. I love this next story. Um, the disciples and Jesus are on a journey. And uh, no, that's actually the next verse. Let's just read this verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you would come after me, I'm going to insert something here. I'm going to take a little liberty because I believe it's truth and it works. If any one of you would come after me, He must deny himself. He must take off his fig leaves. We must take off our fig leaves and take up instead his cross that he died on to redeem me from those fig leaves and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to hold on to his fig leaves. Maybe you spent a lot of money putting that fig leaf together. Maybe you have gold embossed fig leaves from Neiman Marcus. I don't know, but... He who wants to save his life, save his fig leaves, will lose his life. Whoever loses his life, gets rid of his fig leaves from me, will find his life. What life? What good will it be for a man or a woman? If we gain the whole world, if we have the best fig leaves, we forfeit our soul. Or What can a man give? What can a woman give in exchange for her soul? What do you want to hold on to that's worth more than your soul? What image? What fig leaf? What self are we leaving behind? What self are we sacrificing? What are we dying to? It is every part of who we are that has been made in separation from God. It's our fig leaves. See, Jesus isn't indiscriminately saying you just got to get out there and you got to die. What he's saying is you got to die to what's destroying your life. What's keeping you back from the good life God's called you for? What's keeping you back from authenticity? What's keeping you back from being a hopeful person, a whole person, a a godly relational person? Those are the things that we die to. Isn't that incredible? Like I read this passage in the past like, man, I got to die. Die, 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 die. You know, and and with the self-hatred that some of us as myself have struggled with, I'm all the the more glad to to beat myself. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm gonna die. Jesus has so much passion, so much love, so much purpose, so much desire. He is so committed to our wholeness and our well-being that we can't even fathom the kind of love he has for us. And so it is his mercy to come to me It is his mercy to come to you and say, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Why do you have those fig leaves on? What happened to our relationship? So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about a couple of universal examples of fig leaves. Because I believe pretty much all of us in this room, if we're human beings, have had these two fig leaves on that I want to talk about. So the first one is the need to be first. We can also call this the need to be in control. Now, I may be the only one in this room who's ever had control issues, but on faith that some of you may have also worn this fig leaf of control, I want to share this with you. So this is the one where Jesus and the disciples had been on some kind of ministry trip, and they were coming back to Capernaum. And while Jesus, I guess, is up front, maybe just kind of you know, whatever he's doing, focusing on the Father. The disciples are behind him, and um, they're having an argument about who's the greatest, who of them is the best. So the way I picture this is Marty's had a really... He's going to listen to this. Marty's had a really, really, really good sermon. So they come together at staff meeting on Tuesday, and there's Marty, and there's Mike Dent, and, and, and there's Morgan, and Marty just kind of kicks back and maybe puts his feet up on the coffee table in the lobby, and he goes, the lobby and he goes, man, that was really good. He said, you know, I think of the three of you, I'm the best. I think I've got my act together. And Mike Dent kind of leans in and he says, dude, I'm the one who makes you look good. And, and, and if it weren't for you and me propping you up, you wouldn't be anybody. And, and, and Morgan says... Well, I I don't know Morgan well enough to say what she would say, so I won't say anything. (laughs) She just quietly knows she's the best. (laughs) So anyway, uh, let's read the scripture. "Then, Then they came to Capernaum when he was in the house, and he asked them, what was it you were arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So, sitting down, Jesus calls the 12 and he says, Guys, if any of you wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He said, This, he could have said, this fig leaf of trying to identify yourself as being the greatest is exactly opposite of what I want you to do. I want you to take off that fig leaf of control, humble yourself, and look around you and see who needs you. See who needs you to love them. See who needs you to care for them. That's the opposite of control. Well, how does how does a fig leaf of control look on our lives? Um, for some of us, it really is having the best cars, having the uh, the best clothes, having the best job. It's it's the status we get by the nice fig leaves that we have. There's nothing wrong with being satisfied with good things in our lives, but when they become our identity. They they shield the truth about who we are and our brokenness. Here's another one. How about we hide behind the fig leaf of control, maybe being the strong one, maybe being the obvious, uh, uh, always happy one that we use to hide our struggles on the inside or, or when we've been deeply, deeply wounded by abuse or other things in our lives. And instead of showing that to people who can pray for us, We cover it up with, you know, a happy, smiley face. How about the fig leaf control manifest in never listening to anyone? That's a form of control. Here's another one. What about the fig leaf of the way that, as spouses, we cover our husband's or wife's addiction? Or the abuse we experience in the context of marriage. Why are you saying this to church people? Dudes and dudettes. I've been pastoring since I was 19 years old. I have been and ministered in 24 countries. And you know what? It's everywhere in the church. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to take our fig leaves off. Covering someone else's stuff is also self-protection. It's a fig leaf. Just as Jesus challenged the disciples, you and I have got to fall into the cross and die with him to the need to put our fig leaves, our false selves first. Look at this. Jesus was able to surrender because he was secure in the Father's love and purpose for his life. Jesus wanted to secure us, wants to secure us in the same way. And as he secures us in his passion and devotion to our well-being, we can take off our fig leaves and we can be the people God created us to be step by step, breath by breath, breath, moment by moment. We become the men and the women and the families that God created us to be. You know, when I was struggling with depression in, uh, in ministry, one of the things that I actually did was I didn't realize I was doing it, I was doing it till, till God really showed me showed me one day, because because I struggled with depression, if anybody said a positive word for me, it was like life for a moment. It didn't last very long. It was like water on a hot pan. But in the moment, it kind of lifted me up out of that. And and when somebody spoke anything negative to me, it was like down to the pits of hell. And I would gotten into a pattern, even in in ministry, not just even in ministry, in ministry and in life, where... I I did what I did. Honestly, I wanted to do it for Jesus, but this other dimension of my life was to do it so that I would be affirmed, that I have a sense of worth and a sense of purpose and a sense of value. And one day, I was in my office. I was associate pastor at the San Luis Obispo Vineyard in California, and I was in one of those, like depression, like real depression, not like... Just depression where I could only see about a foot and a half up from the ground. That kind of depression. And the Lord told me, you quit looking for ways to get people to put fig leaves on you. And you look for ways to bless people in their brokenness. Look for ways to bless people. Become an encourager. And that was a hard word to hear from God because I felt so empty, so so vacuous, if that's a word. And God told me, you step out by faith, you do that. And as I did that, as, as I listened to the Lord as best I could and I started speaking into people's lives, my heart started getting freer. You know, I wasn't putting my brokenness first. I was putting others first. And God used the power of that literally with other things in my life to break the depression off of me. And eventually, one of the things I started hearing coming back was, Ken, you know what? You're you're really an encourager. You're an encourager in the body of Christ. And that was cool. And it went into the right place. Let's look at the second fig leaf we're going to talk about today. This is the fig leaf of religion. Now I know none of us have ever been religious, but I have a sense a few of us have. So then picture this scene, because I, I, I just I love how real and genuine Jesus is, how unafraid he is to say the truth. So the way I picture it is you got the disciples over here and a number of various people who, who are there to hear what Jesus has to say. Then you got this other group, and I'm not choosing sides of the church here. You have this other group over here. By the way, the difference between my jokes and Marty's jokes, I know the difference. I know mine aren't any good. So so here's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You can imagine them. They have their big hats on, and they've got their big scripture boxes called phylacteries on their forehead they've got these flowing robes they got their tassels and they're kind of maybe standing over there in a line and they've got you know that sort of religious posture where we're better than all these people and who does this guy think he is that's the way I see this so it says then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses seat so you know what You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for people to see. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect. And then he looks at these guys. I'll go further over. You're all like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and dead men's bones. That's a hard word, but the reality is we all have skeletons in our closets, and some of them look like very much like... like fig leaves. Whenever you and I allow anything that God is pressing into our hearts to open up about, we become like those whitewashed tombs. So you come into church, you're hurting, you know, and and, and something's hard has happened in your life or pain is emerging from wounds you have. And you walk into church, maybe you're hurting right up to the front door and you step in and one of those wonderful greeters out there say, good morning and you put on your happy face. Good morning. God bless you. Good morning. Let me give you a hug. Let me cover up my pain with this religious garment that I have on. It's sick for us folks. When we come in and we put the fig leaf of religion out uh, of religion out, we are even more empty and more vacant, because there is an opportunity for confession. There's an opportunity to pull someone aside that we at least reasonably trust and say, I'm hurting right now. I, man, I fell into sin. I, I gave in to this old struggle. My husband beat me. My son overpowered me. I'm scared to death that I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I've worked hard. Why are we willing to be that kind of honest with each other? Where else are we going to go for it? But the body of Christ, the church, the people of God. We just don't like anything to look like something's wrong with our faith. Have you ever met a religious person? You know, like you could go up to him and you could say, you know what, last night... I I saw a demon and I rebuked it. And the person, I've I've been with you like this, like, hallelujah, that's a great thing God has done for you. Yeah, and you you say in the next sentence, you say, you know what, last night I stepped on a snail and I feel so guilty for breaking its back. Hallelujah, that's a good thing God's done for you. There's no authenticity. I know that's an extreme, but, but that's a reality. We do it with each other. And Jesus wants to free us up from that. He doesn't, want us, he doesn't want us to cover up our bones, our dead bones. He wants us to be authentic, whole people whose only qualification for life, first and foremost, is that Jesus died for us on the cross to set us free from our sin, Do you think really that God wants us to spend our lives crushed and broken and depressed and addicted and lonely and fearful? Do you really believe God created us for that? He didn't. Jesus didn't come to just help us be a little bit better. He came to give us full, magnificent, joyful life with increasing measure. So, Here's a question I want to ask you. I have to ask myself this. We have to ask ourselves if the image of health and wholeness is more valuable to us than the actual health and wholeness God has for us. I'm going to ask you this to your to your beautiful holy faces. I have to ask you is the image of health and wholeness more valuable to you Than the actual health and wholeness. God has for you. Does that make you want to strip. Your fig leaves off and say. Yes God I want it all. He'll meet us there. This is what I know. God did not create us for religion. He created us for relationship. And that relationship can only grow. Through admitting our brokenness. By dying to what is false. By telling the truth. About our lives. Amazing. I hunger, I hope you hunger for authentic. What is the point of doing this whole church thing? What's the point of it unless we long for this? And if we don't long for it, to at least say, Jesus, I want to long for it. When I was pastoring the second church in Canada, I was about, first church I pastored. I was 26. I turned 30 during the the second second church. And, And in that place... The, the, the closer I got to having to face the reality of the things I had done and that were done to me, the more religious, really, I did get. I didn't understand that I was in my family of origin as the firstborn. Some of you can relate to this. I was told I had to be an example for my, fi- my siblings you got to set an example. And then I got into the church, and in ministry training, they told us, you have to be a good example for, for the people you're pastoring. Don't let them see your struggles. Don't let them see anything. Set a good example. And so that was set into me pretty firmly. And so when I was struggling, I felt more shame. Here's how bad it got. This is embarrassing, but it's the truth. If I were home, With my wife and our two little boys at the time if somebody came to the door and knocked on the door i would be like scrambling for my bible like i gotta i gotta have i can't open the door i gotta look like i'm praying so i'd find my bible i'd open it up and i'd open the door yeah really it's like who was that guy the Bible was my fig leaf, you know? Oh, I got this spiritual look in my eyes. God showed me. Here's what God showed me. God showed me that my greater sin and brokenness was not my sexual and relational struggles. They were intense. All those things I've been sharing along the way in this message, they were intense. But what God showed me was my independence, my isolation, and my refusal to become as real before God and people as I needed to be in order to be be as set free as he created me to be. I hope that sinks into your hearts because you think, maybe think your struggle is is with this or that, but if you, like I, are refusing to share those things, that's your greater problem. That's your greater sin because Jesus doesn't call us to hide. He calls us into authentic life. A few months ago on Tuesday night, we started a ministry here at the church called Restore. There were a number of different groups, PTSD, um, 10 Steps, sexual addiction, abuse, and a number of other groups where people, men and women, had the opportunity to come in and to begin to share their stuff. I think of those people as bands of warriors because they came into these groups. It was nervous the first night, like, where's my group? i got to get into my class. I don't want anybody to think I'm going to that room. I, don't wanna, I want them to think I'm going into that room. You know, but you know what? After eight or nine weeks, people are like coming in, they're, they're, they're talking, they're, they're sharing life together, they're going in, the. oh, you're going to that room. Nobody did that. People came in and they started taking off their fig leaves. Did everybody go out with all their fig leaves off? Of course not. It's a lifelong process, but they went out freer, more honest, more open, more healed than they would have been if they sat at home. On September 9th, or September 11th, there's a new group starting for Restore. It's a good opportunity to go get rid of some fig leaves. This is an amazing process. I want to share two short stories and two scriptures. The next scripture is this. And I've taken the liberty to put fig leaves in again. I'm not saying theologically the veil is a fig leaf. Again, I'm saying it works. This is so incredibly awesome we can all draw close to him with the veil with the fig leaves removed from our faces and from our lives and with no veil no fig leaves we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus we are being transformed where we're we going back to the beginning Back to the the moment before sin happened. We are being transformed into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory and authenticity to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is His Spirit, who the Scripture says the Spirit comes through the body of Christ to make this manifest in our lives. If you loosely define running, I'm going to tell you a running story. A month or so ago, I was running with a couple guys from the church. I like to run in the dark, especially in the summer, because I'm old. I don't like how people see me. So I'm running in the dark. These two guys joined me. I knew each of them separately, but they didn't know each other as individuals. (laughs) They maybe had met, but they didn't know each other. So we're running in the dark. It's about 4.30 in the morning. And um, uh, usually these... Runs have conversations about our stuff. Uh, Didn't know what to say. So finally, I just said out loud, you know, I know your story, and I know your story, but you don't know each other's stories, so I don't know what to say. And these guys, they were so awesome. They just started taking their fig leaves off with each other. As they were running, running through the dark, waiting for the sun to come up, waiting for the old guy, they told their stories to each other. And that's, I love that. Let's look at one more scripture as for us, 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 we can all draw close to, oh, I just read that one. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us. You know who their great witnesses are? They're all the people who've gone before us who took off their fig leaves and let Jesus do what he wanted to do in and through their lives. Those are the witnesses. All these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out for us. Will you stand with me, please? I didn't intend to have a running theme here, but a year and a half ago, um, <laughs> I just turned 60, um, and I got in my mind to, to run a marathon. So I started training for the marathon, and a buddy of mine from Oregon came, and I'm going to tell you a story about him next week. I hope I didn't just scare you away that I'm coming back next week. <laughs> um, we're running this marathon. It was a Tempe Phoenix one. And it starts out in the Usury Mountains, Usury, Usury, however you say it. And um, it was cold. It was mid-February. It was stinking cold. And they said, you know, wear clothes you don't want to keep, you know, as far as your outer coverings. And, um, and so we're all like strangers huddled around. It was so, so cold. And when the race started, everybody was cold. And, and some of us actually didn't even start when the race started. We stayed by the heater a little longer, let the fast ones go. I'm gonna finish no matter what. In fact, I took care. I was the pastor of the last people in on the race. <laughs> I was just doing my ministry. <laughs> but here's the cool thing. I, I I still, this picture is so clear in my mind. As we're running, as we're running the race, and we're going down and the sun starting, it's getting going from dark to light, and it's going from cold to warm. People started throwing off. They're old clothes, and you're on the race, and there's clothes on the side of the road. Some people just left them right in the middle of the racetrack. It was such a cool thing to see these clothes as we were all going toward the same goal, the same mark to to finish, some to win. I was in to finish, and I did. And I'm grateful for that. And I want all of us to finish the race Jesus is God. So when people come to church, wouldn't it be so super awesome, cool, radical, whatever words are used now, that when people came in these doors, that they would see the floors strewn with fig leaves? Wow, this must be a safe place to be. We're all in the same race. The race we just read about the scripture, the Holy Spirit breathed to free us from shame and brokenness and heartache and hiddenness and fear and free us into a life-giving relationship with God. Free us into life-giving relationships in our marriages. If you married a fig leaf and you are wearing a fig leaf, get it off in your marriage. Take the fig leaves off. If you're having struggles in your marriages, if you're having struggles with addiction, if you're having struggles with depression, take those fig leaves off. Take the opportunities God gives you. Let's throw off those clothes. Let's run the race marked out for us. Every bit of clothes we see, every fig leaf we see on the road, ooh, somebody just got free. Ooh, someone's more authentic. Oh, someone's getting soaked in the love of God. That's the journey we're on. Mile by mile. I tell you, those last miles sometimes are really difficult. But we get there because Jesus loves us that much. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't even know how to say, there are no words to say how incredible you are that you came down to this planet. You, the scripture says, divested yourself of your glory. You divested yourself of your power and you became a man and lived among us. You came to authentically live among us, to look us in the eyes and tell us how you want us to be authentic, authentic in our ability to receive love and authentic in our ability to give it. You came to restore that which was lost. And you looked at your people and you said, The thief has come to rob and steal and kill and destroy. And then you said, But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to know what you want to free us from. Help us, Lord God by the power of the Spirit, to see what fig leaves we're wearing and to begin to step out in faith and take those fig leaves off. Help us to value the health you have for us, rather the image of health that we often wear. Help us to shed the fig leaf of control and the fig leaf of religion. And help us to be the men and women you've created us to be. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, show us what you want us to take off on this race and guide us into those places where we can safely and radically and powerful take off those fig leaves so that we shine with ever-increasing glory in in the true image of God. Your word says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. Give us afresh your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go out and strip something off. Find a relationship and get there the right way. Have a good Sunday.